Welcome to the Pool Nation podcast, where it's all pool talk. And we ain't talking about netting and jetting or splashing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. We talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. Now let's welcome your host with over a decade of industry insider experience and still the reigning champion of Marco Polo, Edgar De Jesus, and his co-host, John J.J. Flawless, the fastest netter in the West, and Zach the Pool Boy Nicholas. Welcome, everyone, to the Pool Nation Live podcast with myself, your host, Edgar DeJesus. And yes, I am the reigning champion of Marco Polo, along with John J.J. Flawless, the fastest knitter in the West, and the famous Zach, the pool boy, Nicholas. This week, we welcome back Leanne DeJesus. Leanne is an HR expert that works for a multi-billion dollar company and has over 30 years experience in human resources, including training, development, and labor employment. We will get an update on the labor market, and we talk about how the pool pros find themselves having to focus a lot more on the HR side of their business. I want to welcome everyone to our live podcast, the podcast where it's all pool talk, and we ain't talking about netting and jetting and splashing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. And yes, we will talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. But before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsors for this podcast, the Ultimate Pool Tools, the SPPA, and PoolInvoice.com. We want to thank them for their continued support. Zach, I'm going to say good morning and apologize for botching that intro with that music right off the bat today. I think I was nervous because Leanne's on. You did great. It always keeps it interesting, right? So I like when little things like that happen. So good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas Eve. Today's topic is definitely a hot one, and it's something that we have been working on all year long here at The Pool Boys is the demand for our services we provide has gone way up, yet our ability to hire has been limited because... For one, to me, it seems like there's a shortage of people who want to work, and I have no idea if that's true or if that's just what it feels like. And for two, the things that used to work when it came to hiring or attracting candidates no longer work. And it seems like people have higher expectations. But again, that's all just my opinion. So I'm excited to get into today's conversation. And there's no one better to discuss this with than Leanne. And I think the term expert just scratches the surface of Leanne's actual experience and knowledge of HR. So if you're struggling with this topic, then listen up because we're going to get into lots of good info today. John, good morning. Good morning. Come on, let me have it. I don't even know what the hell is going on. <laughs> so, I mean, we the only thing we're consistent in doing is somehow consistently screwing up the morning or the beginning. I don't know whether it's... I have no idea what the hell is going on. So was music playing when you guys were doing the pointing and stuff like that? I don't know why you guys were pointing as if music was going because I wasn't hearing anything. <laughs> there was no music. There was no music. So we were just playing along and I'm sitting there going, what the hell? You know, what happened, John, is we did this switcheroo. So, you know, with the intro, unless you press the little go live button, it doesn't go live. So as soon as I played it and I watched your guys' faces like this blank stare, I was like, uh-oh, something went wrong. So I click the live button and then it takes like, what, like 15 seconds for it to actually you hear it. So anyways, but I figured I'd, you know, keep the routine going and botch that intro every time. So it wouldn't be us if you didn't. So 
good morning. And then Zach goes off into talking into like technical details. And, you know, usually our good morning is supposed to be fun filled and not talking about, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of this whole thing. I'm just super excited to have Leanne on. For those of you that don't know her, she is probably one of my favorite people in the whole world. I like her much more than Edgar. So <laughs> I am. Wow. I'm, well, I was going to say, you're probably the only one, John, because usually when it's in the popularity chain, oh, I'm no, under. Not even, you know, where not even falls. close. Yeah. Not even, <laughs> not even close. close. Now, look, Thank you I, for that. I love Edgar. Edgar's great, but you are awesome. And we've had the pleasure to, Thank um, you. to meet Leanne, to hang out with her on multiple occasions. And she's such a cool, down to earth person. And not only that, but boy, is she wicked smart when it comes down to her business and, and doing what she does. She's very successful in her line of work and everything you guys are going to hear today, all the little gold nuggets, everything she speaks and says of, please take it seriously because she knows what she's talking about. And I'm looking forward to just sitting here and learning from her too. But other than that, it's, Hey, I'm about 12 hours away from vacation. I'm actually going to take a week off. Apparently I sound like shit. That's what the guy said right now. I had a cold or I think I know I had a cold but I think I'm over it, but apparently I'm not. And it's still affecting my voice a little bit. So if I'm sounding a little off, that's why I haven't been sick in six years. So this is new to me. And I've been, I don't know, I've been fighting it now for the last three days, but I think I'm over it now and starting to feel better just in time for Christmas. So I'm very excited and that's it. Great. Leanne, good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be here. I always hear about these things and, and I haven't had to, the opportunity to play with all of you at one time. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so Zach, John, it was Leanne's birthday yesterday. So we had her sister come over. We had all the kids and we stayed up till, I don't know, what was it, Leanne? Like 2, 2.30 in the morning? It was like 2, yeah, in the morning. I'm just not made for this anymore, dude. I'm like... <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, you act like that, but every time I've hung out with you guys, it's a late night. Every single time. That's John's fault. John's always the one that kind of is making us stay out late. That became the thing to close restaurants when you guys are out here. And it, all of a sudden we started noticing, did we just close another restaurant? Yeah. So whatever the amount of restaurants that we did, John, we literally closed every single one of them. There was not one that we every didn't close. One. So every, every one. one of them. So yeah. Anyways, that's awesome. All right, guys, this week's shout out goes to MD Pool Rescue. He's one of our followers on Instagram. So big shout out to them out there. And I also want to give a shout out to Benny Romero. And he is the newest member of our peer to peer group. So big shout out to you, Benny, out there. And welcome to the Pool Nation family. Leanne, last time we talked to you, we talked about hiring, we talked about interviewing, we talked about interviewing best practices and a lot of other great info. And that was in July. And we talked about how crazy the world was back then. And to me, it seems like that was three years ago because we are super chaotic. I mean, things have just gotten crazier and it's only been six months, but it really seems like just tenfold of the chaos. So I want to jump in and ask you a quick question, but I'm kind of going back. Let's have our listeners hear a little bit about you and your background before I jump into that first question. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience? Sure. I started in the hotel industry when I was young, 20 something. And I sort of flew into HR just out of, you know, default helping out. And 
the minute I got into it, I knew that that's what I would do the rest of my life. So most of my HR experience has been in hotels. A lot of that has been in a union environment. So really getting an understanding of labor and employment from both sides of the spectrum and managing in a collective bargaining agreement type environment. I left hotels and went to work for Disney for a couple of years, and I oversaw the labor relations department, which was strictly the union environment within Disney in California. And Disney had at that point in California about 20,000 associates. There was approximately 31 unions and 16 collective bargaining agreements. And the team that I oversaw managed, you know, grievances, arbitrations, contract negotiations, things like that. And then I left Disney and I went to work for JCPenney. They were looking for somebody that had a background in labor, even though JCPenney is a non-union employer. And we just really, you know, focus on positive associate relations. And um, I started with responsibility of one building with JCPenney and supply chain. And now I have responsibility over the human resources aspect for all nine supply chain facilities. We used to have like 14. Um, We shut a few of them down, consolidated, streamlined our business. And now we've got nine of them. And I used to also have responsibility for the international side of the international buying offices. So we had, you know, teams in Asia that did all the, you know, buying from different manufacturers and gosh, what do you want to call it? You know, garment manufacturers. And that's where our, a lot of our product comes from. So I used to have responsibility over that team now, but because of all of the changes that we've had, my focus has been primarily now on supply chain. I've got approximately 5,000 associates across the United States over the nine buildings. And most of those are hourly associates. And that's where a lot of the workforce challenges that you all are experiencing are coming from is in the hourly ranks. I mean, we do have a pretty large management team as well at all different levels of management from entry-level supervisors up to, you know, officers. And I've been doing, you know, human resources. Like I said, the minute I got into it 30 plus years ago, I knew I'd do it for the rest of my life. It really just makes me tick. And I've had some conversations with, you know, Zach over the time on some situations he's had. And you know, it's always interesting to me to hear people say, oh my God, you mean I'll have to you know, deal with that again? And I'm like, oh yeah, you will. But this is all, you know, practice for the next one and the next one and the next one. And I've always enjoyed just learning more and, you know, still 30 years in the business, we're learning different things, different ways of doing things, better ways of doing them, what not to do. It's a constant learning experience. So I've enjoyed it. Great. Thank you. I do have to say, Zach and John, I Leanne obviously talks, is able to talk about the supply chain side and all that. And it's, it's super interesting because there's so many different aspects of it that you are just never exposed to. So she's always sharing the stories and all that. And obviously we're always talking business. So from the geek side, I always kind of try to listen and kind of figure out how everything's working, right? The supply chain and the, you know, labor shortages and all the things that they're having to do in order to be able to attract people. So it's really kind of interesting. Sure it is. And it's important to know to have that type of insight because, you know, we have our own difficulties in our set of problems that we have to deal with. And, you know, for instance, like price increases and stuff that we have going on. And it's always easy to come up with your either conspiracy theories or your own opinions of why things are happening and they're doing it just for this or just for that. Because, you know, you're stuck in it, right? You don't have that visibility or that understanding. And it's nice to hear from someone, though it might be a different industry. But at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. And if you, you know, getting that, I don't know, getting that 
that perspective of what corporate America, what some of the bigger companies, what they're going through and why things are happening the way they're happening from an executive level or from the top helps give us understanding of why things are happening to us, you know, on the consumer side of it, right down at the, you know, at the, at the end of the game. So I think she brings a great perspective to it and a good understanding of why things are happening the way they are happening. And it's not necessarily all about greed, though there are some companies out there that are like that, for sure. Business is business, and capitalism is a great thing, or it could be a bad thing, and whoever's opinion and however they think of it. But the truth is, there's struggles that we're all going through, and every little thing that might happen, especially at the top level or at manufacturing, it's a domino effect, and it's not necessarily immediately realized at the consumer level, but things that happened six months ago, a year ago, are finally starting to trickle down and affecting us now. And to get that perspective is important in order for us to understand why things are happening the way they're happening. But more importantly, we learn and understand how we can deal with them in the future when we come across those issues or problems, or we have the foresight when we see these things happening on the news or when people are talking about these things and, you know, this is happening, this is happening. You might think it's far off in the distance and it doesn't really affect us. Maybe not right now, but six months, eight months down the road. Yeah, that will affect you. So it's eye-opening and I think it's going to be some pretty valuable information. And to have that perspective, especially on your part too, Edgar, is is priceless. It's funny that you that you say that. We joke around in the supply chain industry because, you know, just before and just for the listeners, before we went live, you know, we were talking with John and Zach about Christmas and all three of these gentlemen, by the way just are just as surprised that the Christmas gifts our kids are getting as the kids are because the wives are typically the ones that are out there buying them. But they just magically show up. These Christmas gifts magically show up. In the supply chain industry, for years, people didn't talk about it. Nobody really had to think about it unless you were in the industry, right? You just go to the store and your stuff is there. It just magically appears. And now this past year, supply chain has been all over the news because it is affecting every single industry because everything has to get shipped from one location or another, right? And because there's been labor shortages and there's been pressure on the industry and pressure on the companies that mass ship things, it has really affected everybody. Things aren't just magically appearing anymore. People have to look at where it's coming from, how it's coming, how much we're paying for it. It has been an eye-opening experience. And, you know, my coworkers are all joking this year going, gosh, remember when nobody knew what supply chain was or what they did? Nobody ever talked about it. I want to go back to those days because now we're on the news every day because it is affecting every industry. So it's funny that you say that because it is an impactful area of the business, especially when it's getting costly and it's getting very time consuming and it's not flowing as easily or as fast as it used to. And, you know, even when Leanne was working, because Leanne's been working for them for a long time, we would talk about supply chain, but there wasn't a lot of the understanding from my side from the supply chain until we started to have these issues. And then, you know, she's kind of going a lot more into detail on everything that takes from point A to point Z. And it's a really interesting industry. Before I just kind of thought, oh, you know, just kind of some other business, but it's amazing how it affects you know, all the way from overseas where they're making the product, where they're putting that product on the ship, where they're getting those containers to the docks, where they're having issues unloading, and then with the truck driver issues. So it's really interesting industry, and I love digging into it. So Leanne, can you give us a quick update on the market condition and what's drawing 
it and maybe the trends that are out there? Well, I don't know if it'll be quick because to <laughs> to give the update, we actually have to go back a little bit to really understand what was going on. You have to go back to kind of pre-pandemic. So if you think about pre-pandemic times, let's go back to when nobody knew anything about you know coronavirus. Remember that unemployment levels were at an all-time low. So we had areas of the country that had, you know, one and a half percent, two percent unemployment. And so everybody that was wanted to be employed was employed. And so you already had a little bit of a struggle to get people because you couldn't just go out and hire. You had to hire or steal from other companies is what you had to do. And then the pandemic hit. And remember, the entire country shut down in March almost two years ago. Now, prior to that happening in the US, it was happening in the international side of it in December. So it happened like three months in Asia before it happened here. So remember, I had responsibility over our international buying offices. So we were already dealing with the pandemic. And I don't know, Edgar, if you remember me saying, oh my gosh, there's this thing and everybody's getting sick. You know, we have to shut down our offices and we have to, and it seemed so foreign and it wasn't ever going to happen here, right? That stuff doesn't happen here. And then sure enough, three months later, it happened here. So what we saw was when the international side started shutting down, that put pressure on goods because you didn't have the factories open making cotton and things like that, right? So that started the domino effect. Then, you know, we shut down in the US in March. And in March, when the country shut down and nobody could go to restaurants, nobody could go to stores, nobody was out driving on the freeway. It was the best time to teach a teenage driver how to drive because the freeways were clear, nobody was out, right? And again, in our heads in the US, we thought this will last a week or two. Do you remember that when we all thought it was a week or two? And so it was no big deal. It's a week or two. Everybody go home, chill out, let's wait, let's wait it out. And here we are two years later. So you had to shut the country down and everything had to come to a screeching halt. And then when you realize that it wasn't gonna you know, be a temporary thing, people had to go out on furlough. So every company practically was furloughing hundreds of people, thousands of people, just putting them on furlough. Then as you were able to start opening some things up again, it started to change a little bit, but then people that you had furloughed decided they didn't want to come back. And the government had put out some great incentives to help continue to pay them because they wanted to keep you know money flowing in the country, which makes sense. So they were being paid even though they were home, but not everybody was allowed to come back to work yet either, right? It was a slow come back to work kind of situation. And then companies had to right size their business. And to right size your business, you had to do layoffs. So while you went from a furlough situation to bringing some people back, now people that have been off for six months or more had to finally be fully laid off if they weren't coming back. So companies had to do a layoff. And then as you started bringing more people back, what companies started seeing is people, when you called them back to work, decided, I don't want to come back. Or they would, or while they were off on furlough, they started looking for other jobs. Now that you've called them back, they took the other job that they found while they were on furlough. So all of this mass exodus started happening as everything started to sort of come back. The government incentives, the unemployment benefits, they lasted, I think, a lot longer than most people thought. So while schools were still shut down, people were trying to figure out how can I possibly go back to work when my kids are home from school? So people started 
you know, really adjusting their lifestyles. They started getting used to being home. They started being used to being home with their kids. They started adjusting how much they spent because they didn't have as much money flowing in. And in some situations, the government benefits paid people more than what their actual jobs had paid them. So they were making more on some of these unemployment benefits and they were working than they were making in the workplace. So it really sort of incentivized some people to stay home. So you had sort of a mix of people. Then as you had people come back to the workforce, you had companies that had to start paying incentives to come back. Remember, a lot of companies called it COVID pay or hazard pay, and it was extra dollars per hour because people were afraid. You know, they were afraid to go back into the workforce. They'd been locked up in their houses. A lot of people didn't want to get back into the workforce because they were terrified of this pandemic. So you had to financially incentivize them to do it. And then you started seeing, you know, a lot of people would come back and then a large number of people would not. Then what you started getting is once the government benefits started to subside, I think companies really anticipated, boy, once those government benefits are shut down, people are just going to come flocking back. That didn't happen either, right? (laughs) We waited. As each state started to change, we waited for the workforce to start flocking back in and just waiting, and they didn't. So companies had to get really creative. And that's where you get into, you know, what do we need to be doing differently? What is the workforce that we're dealing with now? Because it has significantly changed from two years ago, even from, again, pre-pandemic times. So when you look at what's gone on, you had low unemployment, then you had pandemic, you had furloughs, you had layoffs, then you had callback. And now you've got everybody ramping up. Pool services ramping up, retailers are ramping up, everybody's ramping up because they want to get back to business and people are out shopping again, they're out spending money again, but there's not enough people in the workforce to ramp up. And that's where we're at today. Did that answer the question? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I might've got way off track. Now, but <laughs> let me ask you, so how much has the supply chain side impacted the need for the workforce? So, you know, we come back from this pandemic, you hear a lot of the Amazon hiring, a lot of the dot-com hiring. Has there been a huge increase in adding to that labor force that may be pulled from other markets or other jobs like restaurants or hotels or any of that? I don't think that people are technically carrying more headcount than they used to. What they're doing is they're continuing to hire and they're offering you know rich incentives because of the turnover. So turnover is at record level highs for most industries. And again, that goes along with everything that everybody is seeing right now. And I'm sure um, you're not going to hear it first from me, but you've probably seen articles or seen things on the news with, this is the year of the resignation, right? The big resignation. It's almost like the depression, but it's the, the year of the resignation. More people have resigned from their jobs or just flat out not shown up or just walked off more so than they've, we've ever seen. And again, that's just an, another indicator that our workforce is changing. So I don't think people are carrying more headcount. I do think that they are continuing to hire and everybody's super uber competitive in hiring just to keep the flow coming. You got to keep bringing it in and because they're leaving. So you got to bring them in at record levels because they are leaving at record levels. So, and you just kind of touched on something there. We actually had two incidents where we had done interviewing. We decided to move forward, made an offer with two different candidates. And when they came in to fill out new hire paperwork, 
they tried to renegotiate at that moment and we wouldn't budge. So they stood up and said, thank you for your time and walked out of the building and we never heard back. So finding candidates has been very difficult for us. And I kind of want to know why that's been so hard. Are people just not wanting to work? I know you kind of touched on all the different pieces, but when it comes to finding candidates, what's making that so tough? Well, I think, again, you've got, it's not even a matter of them not wanting to work. Let's just start with that because there's a lot of things that go into this. It's not that they don't want to work. It's that they want to work when they want to work. And that has changed significantly. Like in my industry, you're used to a full-time workforce. Everybody comes in, minimum, they work a 40-hour work week. During peak, they'll work 50, 60-hour work weeks. It's a busy, busy time, right? But people don't want to work that type of structure any longer. You've got a core group that do, and those are people that have probably been with a company for many, many years, and that's what they're accustomed to. But this new workforce is very different. They want to work when they want to work and how they want to work. So for example, you know, you've probably seen some commercials even that Amazon did, and, and it's clips of different people getting into the workforce. And they'll say things like, you know, I want to work full time, but not daytime. I want to work full time, but I want to drop my kids off at school and I want to pick them up after school. So the flexibility in scheduling has really risen to the top of what people want now versus I don't want to work. They want to work when they want to work. And that flexibility has become key. A lot of us act surprised by that. But if you think about it, we should have been prepared for this. And I always like to go back and look at hindsight going, man, we should have known better. We should have been ready for this. Remember back when everybody talked about the millennials and millennials were job hopping, which our parents and our grandparents and many of us never job hopped, right? We had jobs for 10, 20 years. That's just the way we did it. And then millennials came along and everybody were like, oh, these damn millennials, they just bounce around and blah, blah, blah. We should have seen that because millennials came in and they want to be in a company that they can make an impact. They want to know what they're contributing is valuable to the company. They want to know what all their efforts have done for the company and they have to be a part of something greater than themselves. That's what millennials want. And they're willing to move and grow and develop to do that. So consistency and staying with a job for two or three years was not the millennial way. Now, if you look at how millennials started that trend and now you look at how we are after the pandemic, people want to work, but they want to work when they want to work. They want it on their terms. And we have to be ready to be flexible. You can't always meet everybody's needs, but you have to figure out how are we going to meet that new trend and be flexible with that workforce. So the million dollar question is, how long do you think this is going to continue or this new way? Or Yeah, so I keep breaking up my crystal ball and I can't quite find the answer to that. So I'll, I'll tell you. I, and by the way, I would be super rich if I knew the answer. Because I think all companies, mine included, are asking that same question. And so let's go back a little bit to what did we do coming out of the pandemic and during this last peak season? You saw, I'm sure, on billboards and TV advertisements and things like that, companies were getting in very, very creative on how to attract people. And you know, Zach and I had several conversations on what about this and how can we do that and would this work and should we try that? And so first we had to get really creative on how to track people. So you sit, saw companies do, you know, sign-on bonuses, retention, big sign-on bonuses. Like you could see, you know, fast food restaurants were offering several thousand dollars for sign-on bonuses. And everybody's going, God, how do we compete with that? 
first of all, how do you not compete with that? You have to get in the game and compete because you are competing for a very limited workforce. So we had to go back and all companies went back and looked at what do we need to do differently? Turnover is expensive. So it's worth it to put the money up front instead of on the backside and turn people over. So you offer sign-on bonuses, retention bonuses. We upped our hourly pay for our average workforce for the base pay. And then we also added peak incentives on top of that. And the reason we did that was some of it's permanent and some of it's temporary. So to go back to your question, John, as we get through some of this you know, turmoil, we wanted to give ourselves the ability to look at it and say, okay, we raised our standard wages permanently because we needed to remain competitive in the market. But then we have these other incentives that are temporary that we can take away if the market shifts. Or if we look at it and we're going to revisit, you know, in my business, we're going to revisit it in March, not even after peak season in January, we're going to revisit it in March. And we're going to say, what does the market look like now? How much of this temporary increase do we need to make permanent or do we, right? And then we're also going to do another market data research. The problem with market data research is in the past year or two is they're fluctuating almost daily. You used to see wage markets stay the same for a year or even, gosh, at the worst, six months. Now they're changing weekly and monthly, right? Because people are just throwing more money at this workforce. So to Zach's you know, point of you got two people coming in, you make them offers, and then at the offer stage, they're ready to renegotiate. And if you don't budge, they're ready to leave. The reason that they know they can stand up and walk out is they can go right next door and get what they're asking for. And it's because employers aren't really looking at longevity and tenure anymore. They're just looking at, can you do this job? If you can do this job, you're hired. And here's what I'm willing to pay you because it's getting that competitive. So your hourly workforce will walk out because they know they can get something else. The day of, I got to keep this job because there's no other jobs available are gone. And they're gone for a while. And it's because employers aren't really looking at longevity and tenure anymore. They're just looking at, can you do this job? If you can do this job, you're hired. And here's what I'm willing to pay you because it's getting that competitive. So your hourly workforce will walk out because they know they can get something else. The day of, I got to keep this job because there's no other jobs available are gone and they're gone for a while. Leanne, I was reading a survey that said that 74% of the employers had seen turnover increase since January 1st, uh, 2021. What are some of the reasons for turnover in the market right now? A lot of it is a flexibility, like we talked about. People want to have the flexibility because during the pandemic, they figured out that they could spend time with their families. They could engage in hobbies. They could, you know, do different things that they weren't doing before when they were working, you know, really long hours. So they wanted flexibility. I think going back to, you know, the stages of the millennials of wanting to be part of something important or big. If you have, you know, your, your peak season is summer. And if you're working your people really hard in the summer, you know, our peak season is right now during the holidays. It is critically important to tell your workforce what their hard work did during that summer time. So during this summer peak, when we asked you to do all of this hard work and work all these extra hours, cleaning pools, we were able to add this many customers. We were able to increase our business by this much. And we were able to increase our customer service by this much. And that was because of your hard work. People need to know that they're part of something and they need to know what their work is doing. How is it paying off? Not just for them in the pay, 
and in the benefits, but how is it benefiting the company? And do you even recognize that? Because that's part of it. They need to know that you understand what they contributed and that you appreciate what they contributed. So that's a lot of that turnover. When you know big companies, associates come in and they're treated like another number, they'll go to somewhere else because they don't want to be treated like another number. So a lot of that you know, overall entry engagement is important. Letting them know what work they do and how it contributes to the company is important. And recognizing their efforts is critically important. So they will bounce. If they don't find what they want from you, they have the opportunity to bounce somewhere else and they will bounce. It's just crazy. You know, we've all been hit and I know I'm going off a little bit because I'm just thinking when you're talking and, you know, 15 years ago when I was in retail, it was a completely different thing. Finding jobs was such a tough, uh, to find good paying jobs or to have people eagerly to look for you. We kind of didn't really look as at employees as important as we do now or as much of a, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to grasp or to, to kind of put it into words, but just our whole shift in the way we do business now as a country is completely different than what it was three, four years ago, and in so many different aspects. And if we don't start realizing it as, you know, small business owners, as employers, then, you know, if we're not changing with the times and understanding that some of these things that are happening right now are, are you know, are kind of going to stick at least for a while, because things happen in waves, especially when you get a big change that happens, it tends to stick around for a while. Now, whether it's five years, 10 years, a generation, you know, or until another, you know, huge issue happens or a pandemic or some catastrophic, uh, you know, changes the way things are, are moving. But, you know, it's a, just a different type of environment. And I think what you're saying is just you kind of nailing a lot of things right on the head right there. And, you know, for us, we're in the, and we've actively been looking for employees to bring on to our company and it's a struggle and as prepared as you can be, you know, I've hired and fired thousands of people in my past and I know how to interview. I know how to look for and recruit talent. I know how to hopefully, you know, get a good read on people, offer incentives, at least create an environment that people want to stay in and want to work for. And it's still a struggle. I'm having a hard time. And the people that I've thought that I was going to bring on or people that I thought that I was going to have work for us has just failed and it just didn't work out. And just kind of like what Zach said, you know, what happened to him with me too? I had somebody ready to, ready to rock and roll, brought him on. And then all of a sudden I just, no phone call, nothing. Yeah. They just ghost you. You're not even in the dating world and you're getting ghosted. And you know, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because, you know, when you were back in retail, remember like store hours were store hours, right? You, you kept the store open from this time to this time. Now, if you look at retailers, they're shrinking their hours and that's unheard of. And they're doing it strictly because they don't have the workforce. You've got restaurants that have closed their dining room and only doing drive through because they don't have the workforce to manage both. They only have the workforce to manage one. So, you know, you have to look at in most companies, the most expensive thing that you have is your workforce. It will cost you the most, right? Whether it's because of wages, benefits, whatever that is, it is your most expensive asset. But you have to look at that workforce as that. It is an asset. And if you don't treat it like an asset, you're not going to have it. And so it's just like, you know, you go out and buy your most expensive truck. You baby it. You take care of it. You protect it. You try to make sure that you do everything that you need to do for it to keep it in the best shape as it is. 
you have to look at your workforce the same way. That is an asset and you have to take care of it. You know, you nailed it. It, you know, back then it was employees were almost like a dime a dozen. You had hundreds of applications constantly being sent through the system where you can just pick and choose. There wasn't an issue with, okay, we can, you know what, we're doing a hiring weekend. We can set up 50 interviews or a hundred interviews this weekend and we're going to go through them and we'll figure them out. We'll, we'll do what we need to do. We'll knock them out and fill it. That's not the case anymore. It's a rarity to get, and, expect, and not, not only just to have the applicant, right? Or have people that want to work, but to have someone of quality, right? So it's, <laughs> right. It, it's tough. And uh, yep. as a business before, you know, turnover was always very important and not necessarily in the fact because turnover, because it's hard to find good people, but no turnover just costs an organization an X amount of money. You know, we always had a dollar amount figured, Hey, based off of drug testing, background checks, the interview time, um, you know, um, uh, you know, the training, right. Uniforms, all that there was, we attached a dollar amount and however many thousands of dollars that was that we attached, that's what we looked at when we turned over employees was, Hey, look, Oh, you know, your P&L, you're hitting there. This is what your turnover rate is. If your turnover rate's 30%, 40%, 20%, 80%, this is what it's costing your, your company or costing your store in turnover. And we managed it from that percentage. Not You never really looked at it like, oh, well, the well's dry or, oh, there won't be another employee that we can hire or, oh, now there won't be somebody we can train or somebody who's willing to work. Or It's just completely shifted now. It's not that. Now it's like throwing, you can throw money at people now where before that wasn't the case and you still can't find anything. You're chumming the waters, you're doing whatever in the hell you can, try to get people attracted to you, but nothing. They're like, they're non-existent. Uh, it's been a complete shift and it's it's just crazy. So next question, and I think I'm supposed to be asking all these questions because is that is that true, Edgar? You're just going to sit there and be quiet, or what? I'm just. I'm saying <laughs> to be honest with you guys, I'm just absolutely enjoying this podcast. And there's some things that I want to talk about from the pool guy perspective, but I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Leanne and I talk. I get a lot of information from her and stuff like that. But I'm really enjoying just kind of listening to the whole story in chronological order, rather than just little pieces here and there. So. That's why I gave you a lot of the questions so I could sit back and enjoy. Okay. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> can I, can I just go back to something real quick that John mentioned? So, you know, turnover is expensive and you touched on it, John, the low level turnover, like the cheapest that it costs the average employer to turn over one person is roughly around $3,500. So when you look at the guy you just hired, he lasted a week or two, maybe 30 days. When he leaves, that's going to cost you roughly $3,500. You've got some that, depending on how much time you've invested in training, depending on you know what's gone on during their employment, or the impact that they, the work that they did or didn't do with a customer, you could look at turnover costing you know six thousand dollars a person. So when you look at the cost of turnover, that's when you go back to, that's why you have to treat your associates like an investment, like a good asset, because that's really what they are. They cost you more money when they leave then typically they're going to cost you when they're there, theoretically. And you also touched on it, John. You can throw money at people left and right. That's not always the answer. And I think a lot of companies make the mistake of thinking, we're going to pay the most. And then we still can't figure out why we're not getting everybody or why they're not staying. You might get them in the door because you're paying the most, 
but you won't be able to keep them because you're paying the most because there's more things that they want other than just pay. Again, I go back to, they want flexibility. And also they look at how you're paying them. One thing that we uh, really discovered is you can't really find this on an associate survey. And we didn't find it on our surveys either. We found it through trial and error. If you give associates a flexibility in scheduling, that's the first best step. Right now, that's what we're seeing with the market that we're dealing with, that good flexibility. I might want to work two or three days a week. I might want to work this shift, a day shift, and that shift, a night shift, whatever. But then I also don't want to wait. Once I get hired, I don't want to wait two and a half weeks or two weeks to get paid. Because we have, as a country, created an instant gratification environment in our whole world, not just work world. Think about you can jump on and order something on Amazon. And in some cases, you can get it today or you can get it tomorrow. Instant gratification. I go crazy. One day, my daughter was in middle school and she sent me, I got this alert on my phone from Amazon and it was a, an ankle bracelet. And I'm like, what the heck? And so she sends me a text and said, I got this ankle bracelet on Amazon because mine broke today. Dad said I could. I'm like, wait, what? And sure enough, she gets home that, that day and the darn thing sitting on the porch, it was already delivered. And I said, oh my gosh, that instant gratification is crazy, right? So we've got that environment. You can you know, order a burger and it's going to get delivered to your door. So people have gotten used to getting what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and as fast as they want it. And the same goes for when they work and how they get paid. So looking at your pay structure sometimes will help you. If you're paying people, you know, every two weeks, that might not work anymore. You might want to work that to weekly. Or if you're 1099ing them, you could pay them daily. And guess what? The worker that gets paid daily, that instant gratification, they come back tomorrow because they want to get paid again tomorrow. And they come back the next day because they want to get paid again the next day instead of waiting. And so there's a lot of different things that you can do to help that. Or again, just being open to the flexibility of it and seeing what you can, what you can muster up. I have a question for you, Leanne, after listening to all that and, you know, talk about treating people more as an asset and looking at them, you know, as a true asset to the company and people do have higher expectations and more demands. Would you caution, because I, I talk to a lot of different people and I kind of run into this and I try to caution people against kind of meeting demands or trying to meet all demands. And then also when it comes to treating them like an asset, that you can kind of cross the lines in that engagement and support from like what I would call professional engagement versus more of a friendship type engagement. What what are some of the pitfalls that can come from that? Because I think it's a tricky thing to try to navigate as it's no longer just we're paying you to come to a job. We're Now we're having to be more engaged and now we're having to meet more demands. It's a fine line. And it can be, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, you have to look at, you know, are you willing to give away the farm? Because you, you can't do that, right? And I know that, you know, Edgar's had several conversations with the listening group here about what's your profit margins? What do you need them to be? And that's where you start. So let's say you, you know, are a big company or a small company. You know what you need to make from a profit standpoint. So you have to factor in what are you willing to pay to still get that profit? And you have to start there. So what's your goal, right? Is your goal to have one employee? Is your goal to have 100 employees? What's your goal? What's the goal of the size of the business? What's the goal for the money that you need to make? Start there and stay within those parameters. And then obviously from an HR standpoint, I'm always going to tell you, when you hire anybody, making sure that they understand the expectations. You know, a good leader 
make sure that every associate knows here's what the job is, here's the expectations, here's the proficiency, the productivity, the things that we expect from the job, and here's what you get in return. So you don't have to go give them, you know, your firstborn and and the farm. You need to, you know, really understand what you want to get out of it and but make sure they understand what they get out of it. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be a right fit for everybody because it won't, right? Somebody's going to say, "Yeah, but I want twice that." Well, this is what the job pays because this is what the job is worth and this is what we can pay. So if you need twice, this isn't the right place for you. And then if you go into your second part of your question, I think was that professionalism engagement. So I'll tell you in my history of my career, and I'm in a weird spot, right? HR is always the weird spot. Like it's got to be that, you know, you're an advocate for the company, you're an advocate for the associate. And I have become very good friends with people that have worked for me or had really good relationships with people that have worked for me. But they've always known that there's that level of professionalism, that line that I won't cross. So if they ever, you know, cross that line, they still have to be held accountable because I'm company first. I have to be before I'm, you know, that friend or or whatever. And people always know that about me. So if you're the owner of your company and you bring people on, it's okay to really engage them even on a personal level. You know, know how many kids do they have and, and, oh, you know, how was your son's high school graduation? And, oh my gosh, I'll bet that was great. And, you know, be in that personal side of it, that from that side of engagement that you need, they need to know that you care about their personal life, but you can't ask them, you know, you don't want to get into, you know, personal, really personal questions. You just want to engage them on a personal level as well. Know where that line is. Does that answer the question, Zach? Yeah, definitely. It's just I struggle because I walk the line very strictly and I try not to blur it, maybe to an extreme. But I do see, you know, and hear from other people that they do some things that I would, you know, maybe caution against just as far as I think you get in the mindset of like trying to become in favor with everyone. And sometimes being in favor, um, you do, you, you cross that line, if that makes sense. So, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of leaders have, that's one of the initial struggles that people that lead people, it's the first one of the initial hurdles they have to get over is, you know, how much do I need to cave into some of the personal needs of this person versus the corporate or company need of the person? And again, that's one of the reasons that you have policies and procedures and practices in place. And you can never be 100% consistent with everybody. It just doesn't work that way. It's not a cookie cutter type. People aren't cookie cutter, period. So you have to take situations case by case. But when you're looking at consistency standpoint, as long as they understand the policies and procedures and you're holding them accountable to those and you're being consistent, you then you're doing what you need to be doing. Doesn't mean you can't, you know, engage them on a personal level. Or if they come in and say, you know, gosh, you know, I just found out that, you know, my son got told he's going to get an award this afternoon at school and I wasn't aware of it. And I hate to miss that thing. That was a big thing for me and Edgar, right? Our kids would get an award and we're like, oh my God, why didn't we know that? And we would drop what we're doing and we would go there. And so to be an employer that understands that, you know, this is important to this employee, their kid is getting an award. They just learned about it last minute. I'm going to give you the time. Go, go take care of it. Enjoy it. Get some good video, get some good photos, and then come back and start pick up where you left off or we can, you know, move things around so you can start again tomorrow. Having that kind of understanding about the personal lives of people now, if you have the associate that comes in and they have an emergency every day, it's a different situation, right? It's just knowing 
when to have that balance and exercising that balance is important. And it tells the employee that you, that you do care about them. Again, I'm listening to you talk, Leanne, and it's just kind of bringing back these memories and, you know, from back in the day for me and Zach. And I think what you're talking about too is kind of falls into, this is how I used to teach it. And this is what I used to say. People would always come up and they would ask and they'd say, okay, how do you do this? Or, or, or why are you guys successful? Or why is it different in this store than it is in other stores? Or when we do surveys and stuff, or when we go out training other managers or other district managers or whatever, this is what all kind of boiled down for me, at least when I was asked that question was a leader is somebody you want to work for, right? A manager is somebody you have to work for. You got to be able to thread the needle somehow. And, and what Leanne was talking about, just nailed it. You, you know, there's certain things you have to realize and some things you can't be taken advantage of. And I always said was this, look, you can be the loved guy or the loved girl, and you're going to get people that are going to absolutely praise you and love you because you're always doing stuff for them and you're always forgiving and helping them out and doing whatever you need to do. But eventually what ends up happening are the people who work for a loved leader or a loved manager or a loved boss, eventually they're going to start taking advantage of you. The minute you have to lay down the law or the minute you have to go by the rules, they're going to turn around and go, hey, hey, John. Oh, my God. John was so cool. Now he's a prick or Zach. Oh, he used to do this. Now I hate this place. You know, they were so cool before. Now, all of a sudden, they're doing this and doing that. Right. You kind of have that type of um, mentality when it comes down to your employees. And then you have the feared leader. Right. Or the feared manager or boss. And that one who cracks the whip. Everybody's at attention. Everybody. Oh, oh, my God. John's here. Zach's here. We better do what we need to do. You know, they're going to get whatever they need done. But what ends up, it's only short term because eventually they're going to start to hate you. And eventually they're going to start lashing out. And it's only a temporary type of leadership or management. But somewhere in between is the respected one, right? Where you got a little bit of both. And that's where it's hard as a business owner or as a manager or anybody, when you lead people, you have to find a way to be not loved, not feared just respected. And when you said what you said was like, hey, when an employee has an award and something's really important to them, what's important to you isn't always important. Nine out of 10 times isn't going to be important, most important to the employee. And what's important for one employee, nine out of 10 times, isn't probably going to be quite as important to the other employee. You have to be able to do those accommodations. But when she said, hey, look, but if they start doing it every single day or they start calling and asking favors every single day. You know, that's, that's a different type of story. And you have to be able to, to sift through that somehow, some way. That's the art of being a successful manager or leader or boss or, or whatever you want to call it. And it's a constant battle because the one thing we're all dealing with are people right? And people are, emo are are just a bag of meat, bones, and emotions. That's what makes us. And when you deal with emotions, it's not so cut and dry, you know, and you have to be able to navigate through that. And it's an ongoing battle, but it just brings, I, I don't know, it just brings back a lot of memories. And I think what you're saying is just absolutely spot on. And it was what we had to deal with and what I had to deal with um, on a constant basis. But again, that's what I kind of really loved about it too. Um, and I guess in essence, not a lot of things have changed since then, some circumstances, but at the end of the day, we're all still dealing with people and people are people. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, there's not any two people that are the same. So that's why it's always a challenge and it's always different. 
One of the biggest compliments a leader can have, and and I've been fortunate enough to have these, and Edgar knows of them because I always like glow when I get them. But when you've got somebody that has left your employment and they come back to you either immediately or as they're leaving or even years later and say, oh my gosh, I still hear you in my head saying this, this, this stuck with me, this, you developed me in this way and this stuck with me and I'm better now because of this. And that is the biggest compliment a leader can have. And, and when I've gotten those, that just, that's better than a, a gift and a card and this and that, you know, it's just, it really tells you that you were that leader that really propelled this person to another level. And so the goal isn't to get people to come work for you and stay with you forever either, right? Know what that goal is, because you will always have some turnover, but did that person serve their purpose while they were in your employment? Did they help you make your business better? Did they help you grow your business? And then what did you do for them? You know, did you make them a more responsible employee? Did you grow and develop them? Did you give them skill sets that they wouldn't have gotten somewhere else or couldn't have gotten somewhere else? What did they walk away from? Because they need to walk away with some value more so than what they had when they got there. And that's, again, another, probably another topic for another day, but that helps people want to stay with you. That helps them want to not turn over as quickly if they're getting what they need from you as an employer. I want the record to reflect, John, that you know normally we try to do a podcast for an hour, and we kind of gave up on that a really long time ago, Leanne. And now you can see <laughs> why, because we always, Leanne and I always joke, and it's like, wait, wait, the podcast are supposed to be an hour. Why is it an hour and a half, an hour and forty minutes, two hours? The last podcast, but you know, you kind of get into these conversations, and you just don't want it to end because there's just so much great information. So. Guys, let's do this because we've been talking for almost an hour. Let's take a quick word from our sponsors. When we come back, we will jump right back in. The SPPA is dedicated to the niche general liability insurance needs of pool and spa professionals. As industry leaders, we'll fight for you, protect you, and be there for you. We provide extraordinary service before and after the membership and insurance is in effect. Insured members of the program get the best customer support and have peace of mind that their alliance is their voice and always fighting for their program and insurance needs. We proudly insure thousands of pool and spa professionals across the United States. With over 30 years encompassing the pool and spa industry, we know the needs of pool and spa professionals. Through the SPPA program, there are three tailored and customized general liability insurance options to pick from. For more information on our programs and insurance options, visit our site at www.thesppa.com. The sound of you continually pitching pool care poles into the trash. The sound of you using an Ultimate Pool Tools carbon fiber pool care pole for years to come. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Now available, Pool Invoice. Pool Invoice is a pool billing software created specifically for the pool service and repair industry. It's developed for our industry and only our industry. Pool Invoice is built with reoccurring billing in mind. You can print, email, text invoices, or even send via WhatsApp. 
You can add reoccurring or yearly charges, accept credits, and set up auto pay. You can even see when customers have seen the invoice. It even has a customer portal where they can log in and see, print, and pay invoices. It has all your customers' information on one page, so you don't need to search through hundreds of invoices looking for the one you need. Just go to the customer profile and it's all at your fingertips. Created specifically for the pool industry, Pool Invoice. Now available at PoolInvoice.com. Blu-ray XL is the power of minerals working for you. Reduce your overall chemical costs and labor up to 50% guaranteed. Whether you have 20 accounts or 20,000, Blu-ray XL's direct pricing and free shipping to the pool trade have you covered. Improving pool professionals' profit and work-life balance is what they do. Blu-ray XL, the real mineral purifier. Visit them at BluRayXL.com. Blu-ray all day. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking to Leanne DeSus. We're talking everything related to HR. We're talking about hiring. We're talking about retention. We're talking about turnover. Before we jump in, guys, I do want to give a couple of shout outs here for everybody that's on our live listening. So I want to give a shout out to Janie, Lindsay, Shannon, Jeanette, big shout out to you guys out there. And we're getting a lot of great comments on here from over from this side. And we were shopping last night and the employees where we were just didn't even care if they sold us something. It's so different now. And then, by the way, for John, he's been drinking this fancy drink for everybody that's listening, and it looks really good. So he's kind of getting some comments over there. But uh, we're also, Lindsay is exactly coming from the retail management. I can relate. The thing that's interesting to me, guys, is that we're talking about the pool industry. We're talking about a lot of people that are going off on their first venture to start to run their first business, their first company. And they come at a time. That is very crazy and very difficult, just like in every market. So you're kind of brand new into the industry. You're starting to do pools, Zach. You're all of a sudden have to having to learn about profit and margins and what rates. And we're kind of going through this crazy where a bucket of tabs was 88 bucks. Now it's 250, 279. So it's impacting the cost. You're having to raise rates. In some cases, that rate increase has to be huge. So some companies are just going. We can't do a $70 rate increase, so we have to let all these customers go. Then all of a sudden, they're kind of in a situation where they can't find employees. They kind of want to scale. They want to hire their first person. They want to bring their second person. To me, it's like they have all these other things, and now on top of that, they're having to become HR professionals very quickly. You know, HR is not something that you kind of go out and learn and you know, two hours. It's something that you learn over the course of time and you master it over the course of time. They really need to focus on motivation, recognition, because employees in the market right now can come, they can start a job, but if they don't have a manager that checks those boxes, it just gives them another reason to jump and go. And Leanne was saying it, that a lot of the new workforce is looking to be something, part of something bigger. They want to be part of the, they want to feel good. They want to be part of the organization. And so we're running our first businesses. We don't have a lot of experience. So if the pool pro out there isn't going out and gaining that experience, they're at a disadvantage. 
because they're not able to check those boxes. And then this workforce is just going to just jump and go to the next big thing. Leanne, can you tell us the difference between engagement, motivation, and recognition? Because I feel like these things can be easily confused with one another and blend all together, and they're totally not. Yeah, absolutely. So first, when you've, you know, we talked a little bit about wages and sign-on bonuses and and retention bonuses. So once you use those things to attract somebody, when you get to the attraction phase and you've got them in and you get them into the building, right? You get them on your payroll, you get them to actually show up for their first day. That's goal number one. Then you have to look at engagement. So you have to, you know, you have to engage this person and you've probably heard it before. And I know John's heard this in his retail experience, but they always say that, you know, employees don't quit the company, they quit their manager. If you don't have some manager or a leader that's actually engaging them, introducing themselves, showing them around, here's where you get this and here's where you find that and here's how you do this. Really that engagement and checking in on them. How's that going? How do you feel about this? Do you have any questions on that? What can I help you with? You know, we've even started a buddy system at our company too, because, you know, you're talking about thousands of employees. So, you know, in buildings that are over 2 million square feet, you're lucky if you can find the bathroom, much less your way out. So signing them up with a buddy to really get that engagement and help them feel comfortable, you know, feel comfortable on their first day, on their first week, in their first month. So that's part of that engagement is really just engaging them, helping them understand, you know, again, like I was talking about, of, you know, where, you know, things are and how to feel comfortable and so that they don't feel like they're, you know, really just lost in the shuffle, that first part of engagement. Motivating them is really helping them understand what's the goal. What are we trying to accomplish and, and what role do they play in that goal? That's how you motivate them. They want to be a part of something. So if our goal is by the end of summer to increase our business by X amount, letting them know along the way, oh my gosh, we're, we're almost there. We're here. You know, here's how far we've got. Here's how far we've gone. And some people like some healthy competition. You know, you put, you know, like uh, you've seen in companies where they put like thermometer charts and see where everybody's, you know, ranking or, or we've seen people put like the little, you know, carnival racehorses out and, you know, the racehorse moves as you get closer to the goal and, you know, things like that. So it's just motivating them. It's letting them know on a regular basis. If you're going to tell them monthly where you're at, forget it. They've lost interest in the month. It's again, everything has to be now in the moment in time, you know, so whether it's daily, weekly, whatever that is, you know, really kind of showing and motivating them that here's what the goal is and here's where we're at and really talking to them about here's how you're helping to do that. And and then when you get into recognition, I think what a lot of people don't understand is recognition is very different for different people. Some people love to be recognized in front of their peers, like a crowd of 50 people. Yay. You know, John did this and we want to recognize John. He was awesome. And here's what he did. And blah, blah. And John's up there glowing. Yes. All these 50 people see that I'm fabulous. But then you've got other people that don't want to be in front of 50 people, but they want to know in their, that's Zach. I knew it. Um, <laughs> that want to know in their heart of hearts that the work that they did paid off and that their leader appreciates it and knows it. And that might be a personal handwritten note. Um, you know, I used to get notes from our, our, one of our CEOs and it was interesting to me, A, that he even knew what I did, but then B, that he took the time to write a note. So I'm also one of those people that don't like, you know, the big public thing, but I liked getting a handwritten note. Cause it's like, Hey, they actually, he actually knew what I did and appreciated what I did. So 
understanding that recognition is different for different people is also important because, and how you figure that out is hard. What do you like? So you might want to have to put together different types of recognition and see what really speaks to people and what doesn't. Some people like a gift card, you know, like, hey, you know, go, you know, enjoy, you know, tomorrow's Starbucks on me or whatever. So it's one of those little, you know, little pieces of things or gift certificates, or they want to have a certificate they can, you know, post up in their work area or, you know, put on the dash of the truck to show that, you know, they're the lead pool guy, you know, and they've got this thing that the sun reflects off the gold on the thing on the dash of the truck or on the back window of the truck or whatever. It really is one of those things that you have to understand that motivation is different for people. Recognition is different for people. um, And really understanding what that is, is difficult. So you have to try a bunch of different things and see what sticks. Oftentimes you can actually survey your associates too. You know, how do you like this? And what do you prefer on that? And on a scale of one to five, how's this? You know, asking the question of them. And what you'll probably find out it is it is different for everybody. You might just have to employ a lot of those different things to, to make it work. When you said, look, people didn't quit the company, they quit the, the manager. You just absolutely nailed it. You know, we always said people work for people, right? They don't work for the company. An opinion of a corporation or a business or a company can vary drastically based on location. You can go into a certain town and you might have a store there and that store might be Benny Bob's fishing gear. And then there's another Benny Bob's fishing gear um, in another different town. And you can have people say, hey, look, this is the greatest place I've ever been. They have awesome customer service. I love this company. This is where I buy all my stuff or whatever, whatever. And then you can go to the other town and have a completely different perspective on that company. And the only thing that's different, and the truth is, I mean, the same core values, mission statement, uh, benefits, packages, corporate people, executives, directors, VPs are all the same for both companies. The difference is, is is the store management and the people that the people work for. And until we understand that and realize that, it's, it's almost impossible to, to really take it to the next level. You were kind of hitting on the points of recognition, and I think you just nailed it again. You know, it's people are different. Different things drive and motivate people. Where I worked, it was an electronics retailer chain. At the time, there were multiple types. The majority of them were commissioned. And we weren't commissioned, we were non-commissioned. And the hard, and yet we constantly, year over year, as a corporation, as a store, we beat them number-wise, profit-wise, everything, market share, and nobody understood why. And when it came down to it, it's like one of the hardest things is trying to figure out how to motivate a 16-year-old kid to turn around and sell whether you're selling a TV or you're selling a computer, right? And to get them to sell an additional $1,000 worth of accessories or warranties or want to do that, right? And how do you motivate them when you're paying them minimum wage or you're paying them whatever you're paying them? The truth is, is you treat them like people. You, you create an environment that they want to do it for you. And, you know, rewards come in many ways, not just financial, right? I mean, that's a motivator for a lot of people. And it motivates almost everybody in some way or form. You know, that's important. That's like a baseline, but that's not the difference between good and great. The difference between being good and great is being rewarded in some of those things that make you feel good about what you do or who you are or that you're contributing or you're part of a community or part of something special bigger than what you are and finding out what makes them tick. And how do you do that? Well, talk to them, treat them like they're important. 
treat them like they're somebody, invest in them, make those deposits, find out who they are, right? And care for them as an individual, not just as a tool. The results that you get from it and the rewards you'll reap from it are far exceed your imagination. And it comes down to just treating people, right? It's the golden rule. I mean, you just be a good person. You treat people right. You set lines, you set boundaries, expectations, hold them accountable to it, right? Praise them. Um, you know, just like you hold people accountable when they do something wrong, when they do something well, you should hold them accountable to that too. And you should recognize that just like you would recognize if they did something wrong too far, too many times managers and or people in authority only have conversations with the people that work for them when they do something wrong, which makes no sense to me. But that's the downfall that a lot of people have or a lot of managers or companies have. What's interesting is these changes in times, I think, is going to help push people more to understand that to where before employees aren't more aren't a dime a dozen anymore, where now they value them more. I think we're moving towards a better place, especially for a work environment as painful as it might be for companies out there. But in the long haul, I think five, 10 years from now, I think it's going to be, um, it'll be a good thing for us. So um, again, I, you just absolutely friggin' nailed it uh, 100% there. And the sooner we can, as business owners, and I, there might be some pool guys and gals out there going, well, what the hell is, how does this apply to me? Right? Well, it does. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have 500 employees, 1,000 employees, 50,000 employees, or one employee. At the end of the day, you still have an employee. And for those of you that aren't hiring outside of your family and you're bringing on your spouses or your children or your friends or your brother, sister, or whatever, you know, forget all that. I mean, it's even more important. Those are your peeps, right? This, these are still people. If you don't treat people right, if you don't understand that they're a person and find out what drives them, then you're always going to have the issue of, of turnover. You're always going to lose people and you're always go through this vicious, repetitive cycle, which is painful and very costly for any organization, no matter how big you are. If you think about it, John, sorry, Edgar, but if you think about it, you know, when you talk about recognition and, and really understanding what's important for the person, right? So most people don't go home at the end of every single workday and say, okay, I worked this many hours at this many dollars per hour. I made this much money today. That's not what they go home and tell their spouse. What they go home and tell their spouse is, oh my gosh, the owner came up to me today and said, great job on this you know, project or this thing that you did. You know, That's what they go home and tell. Or they go home and say, man, my boss was a complete ass and called me out on the carpet today for this. They're talking about what happened at work whether it was good, bad, or ugly, they're not talking about, yes, money's important, but they're not talking daily how much money they're making. They're talking about what happened daily at work. And so really giving them a good story to come home to is half the battle. And if you're not a company that's hiring people, if it's just you, then think of that same terminology when you're dealing with your customers. I think it was Leslie or Janie, one of them said on the chat that you know they had bad customer service when they're out shopping. It's like, your customers are looking at you from a service perspective. And I know, John, you and Janie take immense pride on how well you take care of your customers. So if you're not hiring people, you still have to take the same perspective on how are you treating your customers? Because they're same, same people, right? And they need that good customer service. So they're looking at you just like one of your employees would be looking at you. Are you the one that I want to stick with? Right? So it's, it kind of is, it's very universal. Sorry, Edgar, what were you going to say? <laughs> No, I was just going to say that. Edgar, your voice is wow. Yeah, something weird came on your sound like a 
bad feedback or mechanical. Oh, man, and that was all. Still. It was good, too. I didn't want to stop you. <laughs> Throw your mic like John. Yeah, John, now you're on mute. <laughs> right. I was, of course, right? Thanks, Leanne. Uh, if it wasn't you were what you were talking, you were preaching there was gold, and I was going to interrupt, and I was like, man, that's really good stuff you're talking about. I didn't want to interrupt, and that's why I'm, I'm sending a message, and I'm like, is his voice all screwy? Sounds all blah, 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 blah. It Does it still bad. sound bad? Oh, yeah. Have fun editing I guess that this happened one. when you took a break. No more breaks for you. Well, I want to jump in and say it's just amazing to me because, you know, we talk about all these things, but almost every individual piece of it is a whole thing in itself. I mean, you can spend endless hours trying to perfect, you know, leadership or proper management or recognition or engagement. I mean, and we kind of blur it all together into one big thing and call it HR. But I mean, it's just amazing to me how fine you can break it all down and how specialized you can get and have strengths in other areas and weaknesses in other areas. We have a lot of listeners out there that are in the spot that they're wanting to hire their first employee. Leanne, what advice would you have for them? First, understand what is it that you want to accomplish now that you're going to hire your first one? Like what's what's the end game for you? What is it that you want to have done by doing this? So are you trying to add somebody, you know, full-time or part-time just to alleviate some of the pressure from the workload that you have? Do you want to hire somebody that's like a specialty, you know, um, equipment mechanic that can handle just equipment calls? You know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish first? So make sure you know that because what you want to do is you want to find the person that is going to fit the need first, right? So you have to know what your need is or what your end game goal is. So once you know that, then you need to go out and seek somebody that's going to fit that need. And be specific on what you're looking for. So if you want somebody that, you know, you just need three days a week, then be specific of your hiring, you know, uh, somebody for three days a week. If you want somebody that's got a specialty skill, be specific on that when you're advertising and when you're interviewing. Once you really put it out there of what you're looking for, then narrow it down to from your applicants and make sure that you understand what's the going rate in your area. So if you say, gosh, you know, I want to keep my profit margins at this so I can afford to hire somebody at $10 an hour. Well, I hate to break it to you, but nobody's hiring at $10 an hour right now, right? So you need to understand what's your market in your area? What is the right pay structure for what you're offering from a, from a you know, skill set and from the need? And then really kind of stick with that. Do you need to entice somebody to come on? Do you need a sign-on bonus? And then what's the parameters of that sign-on bonus? Let's say you give somebody a $500 or $1,000 sign-on bonus, but they have to be with you 90 days to get it. Or you're, they're going to get a third now, a third later, another third at the, at the end, whatever that is, right? Understand what that looks like and really have that laid out and planned before you start bringing in your applicants. And then once you start looking at applicants, really narrow down the field to the ones that you want. And stop trying to curtail the job to the person. And that's where a lot of people get into trouble. They're like, gosh, you know, I'm interviewing this guy, John, and he's fabulous. I love him. He doesn't have this skill and he doesn't have that skill and he doesn't have this skill, but I can probably have him go do these other things and I'll just, I'll just pick up the other things on my own. You're not really hiring John for what you set your goal to get him in for. You're curtailing the job to fit John. So then when John leaves in two weeks, you're back to square one. 
right? So you need to make sure that you're finding the applicant that's going to fit the job that you've determined that you need to hire for. And that gets hard because, you know, again, like we talked about, the workforce is thin. It's really hard to find good people. And it's really hard to find good people that can do what you want them to do. So know what you need them to come armed with from a skill set standpoint and what items are you willing to train? Because there's going to be two. You're going to have a list of things they have to have and a list of things that you're going to have to train and know what those are going into it and then start your process. Do you think people should focus on trying to interview multiple candidates before making a decision? Do you think a lot of people kind of stop short? Always. Yeah. Until you know what's out there and what you can choose from, you don't know that you've selected the right candidate. So again, part of the selecting the right candidate is knowing what you're looking for first and then seeing how many of those boxes the candidates check off. And then, you know, really interviewing several is important too, if you can get them, because you need to make sure that they're a right cultural fit for your company, um, because every company is very, very different. And then you want a nice cultural fit as well. So if you can get multiple applicants, always try to get as many as you can and interview what you can. Now I will, and, you know, having said that, I'll tell you, you have to be prepared to do this quickly. Because if you interview a candidate today and they don't hear back from you almost immediately or within a day or two, they're already moved on to somebody else. It's like speed dating. <laughs> you know, it's like imagine all the companies lined up on the block like a like tables would be in a speed dating restaurant, and they're going from you to this one to this one to this one to this one. And it's almost like that roulette with whoever, wherever that ball stops is where they're gonna land. As long as you fit the criteria that they're looking for, they're going to pass up on you if you don't act quickly. So if you're going to interview multiple candidates, you better plan on doing it quick. I actually really like the idea of that. I think <laughs> yeah. that we should start speed interviewing. There you we'll go. Just partner with a bunch of local businesses and set up at like a community hall and go for it. Yeah. Just put all of your stuff out on the table. Say, okay, eight businesses together. We're going to do it all in this time. And we're going to do it from this time to this time. And And I'm not going to tell you what I'm offering, but may the best man win. (laughs) It's smart if you think about it. And I mean, Zach, you know, we've said this before, when you hire people or to get anybody to last or want to be somewhere, continue to be somewhere, you need to find out what their strengths are and what they like to do. If somebody is an outgoing person who's um, an extrovert, people like to talk, do this, do that. And you have a couple positions and you can either hire them for customer service or for sales um, or at checkout or whatever. And then, or you have a position in the warehouse unloading trucks. So where would you put that person, right? So if that person is really loves talking to people and loves being out there outgoing, has a cheery attitude, right? Somebody that you want to speak to, you're not going to throw them in the warehouse by themselves to unload trucks where they don't get to interact with your customers or do the things that they need to do. And the problem is when people go to interview, especially younger kids or or people that are more in need of a job, not necessarily already established and have a career, it's a show they put on, right? They, If they're halfway decent, they're going to look the best. They're going to act the best. They're going to want to tell you what they think you want to hear. It's your job to be able to extract that and understand whether or not that's really what they are or who they are, or are they just, just trying to get the gig, you know, like, oh, I love talking to people. Oh, I love being by myself. You know, they're trying to impress you. And if you are only hiring or interviewing one or two people, 
I mean, you're literally trying to mold them or fit them into who you want them to be or whatever's going to fit you. And that's only, that's a short-term thing. And eventually it's going to be something you don't want them to not want to go to work. When they wake up in an ultimate world, even when it comes down to us as business owners, do we wake up and say, hey, I get to go to work today. I get to service pools or repairs or do this. Or is the mentality, I have to go do this, right? I have to go clean pools. Do I really have to go sell? Do I have to go work for Zach? Do I have to go work for John or, or Edgar? Do I want? It might be asking for a lot, what we're doing maybe on like a smaller level, but you know you can't think of it that way, right? Um, the ultimate goal is to find the, the bright persons out there. And unfortunately, you have to go through many, 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 many people. We have to deal with people. Yeah. And when I go back to what you said before about, you know, if you need somebody that's going to be, you know, good customer service and loves talking to people. And, you know, when we did the podcast back in, in July about interviewing, I think I might've even used the example, you know, back in, in the hotel industry, you know, we used to ask a question and we'd say, you know, tell me about a project or an event that you, that you worked on that you found particularly satisfying. What was it? And why'd you find it satisfying? If they said, you know, oh my gosh, I love, you know, the analytics of, you know, working through spreadsheets. And, and so I love getting into a room and, and going through all these analytics on my computer and coming up with the right answer and doing this and doing this. Okay. Well, that's not the person you want to put at the front desk dealing with customers all the time, right? Because they like being in a room by themselves dealing with numbers, not people. Or if you say, you know, if you go to the opposite and you want to hear more of a negative response, you say, tell me about a project that you did that was not satisfying. What was it that was not satisfying? What didn't you like about it? And they're like, oh my gosh, I had to do this event with my church. And, you know, we had to, you know, work with, you know, 200 people and, and plan this out and do this. And it was just, it was too much conversation. I couldn't get people aligned. I couldn't, you know, those aren't the people that you want, you know, heading up, you know, projects with multiple people because they don't like dealing with people. So that's how you get to the bottom of whether somebody likes, you know, this type of work or doesn't like, or they're good at that type of work or not that good at type of work. So going back to, you know, Zach's question, if somebody's looking to hire their first employee, I guess I'd go back to go back to the July podcast on interviewing and listen to that one too, because it gives you some good tips on, you know, what to do on an interviewing and what you're looking for and what you're not looking for. Because now longevity used to be really important. And I'll tell you, you know, we've sort of thrown that, that one out the window because people don't stay in their jobs long anymore. They are bouncing around. And your goal now is to find somebody that's got the skill sets that you need. And your goal is then to entice them, motivate them, engage them to stay with you longer. Um, doesn't mean you'll always be successful, but you know, if you're doing the right things that you'll be a little bit more successful than, than previously. So, so I'd say, yeah, go back to the July podcast first. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, um, let's take a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, I, we will get Zach and I guess mine or Edgar's final thoughts because, or you want to hear the robot final thoughts from, from Edgar? <laughs> no, you're back. Kind of like still weird. No, oh, it's exactly. perfect hey. now. It's working. I was inspired too. You when sounded I was talking, like it. So now it's like, huh? It sounded, it sounded yeah, like great. Can you go back and re-record? I think you could re-record it and add it in, but it was really good stuff. Yeah, that's probably you know? that was probably God telling me, shut up. Stop stop family. <laughs> so let's, All right, so let's cut that part out and you, you you do that now, Zach. I mean Edgar. Now I do it. Hey, yeah. hey guys, let's take a quick word from our sponsors and when we come back, Zach John will get your final thoughts. 
The HyperPole from Ultimate Pool Tools is a pool care pole designed by pool professionals for pool professionals, featuring precision-crafted carbon fiber and stainless steel construction. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Pool pros have specific needs when it comes to general liability insurance. The SPPA program has you covered. With three tailored and customizable general liability options, SPPA makes it easy for pool pros to feel secure. Find out more and get covered at the SPPA.com. Now available, Pool Invoice. Pool Invoice is a pool billing software created specifically for the pool service and repair industry. It's developed for our industry and only our industry. Pool Invoice is built with reoccurring billing in mind. You can print, email, text invoices, or even send via WhatsApp. You can add reoccurring or yearly charges, accept credits, and set up auto pay. You can even see when customers have seen the invoice. It even has a customer portal where they can log in and see, print, and pay invoices. It has all your customers' information on one page, so you don't need to search through hundreds of invoices looking for the one you need. Just go to the customer profile and it's all at your fingertips. Created specifically for the pool industry, Pool Invoice. Now available at PoolInvoice.com. Blu-ray XL is the power of minerals working for you. Reduce your overall chemical costs and labor up to 50% guaranteed. Whether you have 20 accounts or 20,000, Blu-ray XL's direct pricing and free shipping to the pool trade have you covered. Improving pool professionals' profit and work-life balance is what they do. Blu-ray XL, the real mineral purifier. Visit them at BluRayXL.com. Blu-ray all day. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking to Leanne DeJesus. We're talking recognition. We're talking motivation. We're talking about going back and even trying to hire people in this crazy market. Zach, let me get your final thoughts. Well, first thing I got to say is you mentioned how you like listening to Leanne talk about these things, and I totally geek out as well. Um, just hearing all that kind of that very ops and strategy and all of that. I love that stuff. And it's a crazy time. And for us, we've only been aggressively hiring for the last few years. If I really think about it, you know, because in the beginning, it was kind of like, we do that once and we get someone and then there's a length of time before we're ready to do it again, a kind of a snowball effect. So it's only been maybe the last two years specifically. So not having that experience and then trying to really figure it out in the middle of a pandemic or product shortages, supply chain issues, labor shortages, I mean, everything that's been going on, it's really been a whirlwind. But what it has done, it has forced us to dive in and try to learn and understand a lot of these things. And so when, or I should say, if we get back to some sort of normal or lull or break from all of those things I just mentioned... I feel like we will be in a really strong position to successfully attract and hire and retain and grow a team that will allow us to have that awesome growth. Like John said, it's changing the way that it's, you know, it's going to be done. It's creating that new way of doing it. And I think that the people that really dive in, really try to understand and put these processes and policies and procedures in place, they're the ones that are going to succeed um, because they'll be the one that are able to attract, hire, and retain people. 
I want to say thank you to Leanne for not only taking the time today to talk to us about these things, but for taking some personal time to help me navigate some of our challenges here. And I've been able to apply a lot of game-changing things here as a result of those conversations. So I really appreciate that. And thank you. John, final thoughts. This was awesome. And we can probably talk for, I mean, at least I can talk for at least another 10 hours about this kind of stuff, because this is really what I love. This is my jam. And it kind of goes exactly what we're talking about. Strength-based, you know, finding out what people like or, or, you know, people enjoy. And what you enjoy is not necessarily what you're good at. So in no way am I saying, oh, you know what I mean? I just really like this. It's fascinating. And Leanne, everything you said is spot on. Not that, I mean, it's just what I've learned, what helped us be extremely successful. And the mentality that you have and your company has, or at least the way you teach your people is right. I I mean, that's the only way you can put it. Yeah, you guys are doing it in the right way. And if we can get more people to, or more business owners to adopt that mentality, or at least have that perspective, um, I think it'll help us overcome or or be able to jump over these hurdles that we're currently going through as, as an industry. I could talk about this for days. Other than that, it's been a blessing to have Leanne on. You guys are awesome. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. I am going to go back on my final thoughts to the same thing, and that is that we are going through some unprecedented times, and you know everything in our industry has been tossed upside down, and we've been talking about it. It's almost surreal, everything that everybody in the industry has had to go through this year. And then on top of that, now all these pool pros are having to kind of go back and learn interviewing skills and stay up to date with the market and what the changing conditions is. And you know now they're having to learn a lot more to the HR side. And to me, HR is one of those things that has to be a vital part of your strategy with your company. And it's very important because you're talking about your people. You're talking about your most pride asset to your company, which is your employees in order for you to be able to do what it is that you do. So on top of everything that we've been talking about throughout the year, now we throw out to all these pool pros that they need to become experts at HR, right? They need to be able to motivate people. They need to be able to recognize people. And it's like, oh my God, one more thing. Really? It's like, I don't have the time. I got to worry about money. I got to worry about all this. And now I have to worry about the whole HR side. But I can tell you this, if you do focus on the HR side, when we come out on the other side, just like Zach was saying, you are going to be a stronger company. You are going to be a lot more successful because you are already doing those things. So for everybody listening out there, an HR side to your business is very, very, very crucial. So take the time, spend the time you know, learning about it, do some deep dives into it, and you're going to see how that's going to put you ahead of everybody else. So Leanne, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, for taking the time. Look, we've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes. And like John was saying, we could probably go longer and there's a whole bunch of other questions. But anyways, I want to thank you for coming on and taking the time. Zach, John, I want to thank you guys for coming on and we will talk next week. Hey, thanks guys. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Pool Nation podcast, a member of the Pool Nation family. You can listen to us live every Friday here at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central, and 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. 
You can find us at Pool Nation or PoolNationPodcast.com, on Facebook or on Instagram at Pool.Nation. And to find more info about Pool Invoice, the billing software built specifically for the pool industry, go to PoolInvoice.com. Before you go, this is what the pool industry has been waiting for. PoolmanUniversity.com. It's the first platform dedicated to learning the swimming pool service and repair industry. A pool service community where you can connect and find videos on business, service, water chemistry, and repairs. See you there at PoolmanUniversity.com.